All right, so today's sermon is called A Biblical View of Sowing and Reaping. We're coming up on, our, on the end of our series, the book of Galatians. I've been telling Pastor Aaron, this might actually be my favorite series that we've done uh, since I moved here. I, 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 tell them, I tell him this all the time. Uh, he's not here. Maybe he's watching the live stream. I don't know about you guys. I think sermons where you go verse by verse, where you have to put everything in context, where you go through all of this, are just so much richer than I feel like any other kind of sermon that, that, that we can come up with. And I feel like it's for a reason, because it's the Word of God. Right? It's kind of hard to even try to imitate that with, with a message on something else. And so uh, I've been really happy with this series. I'm happy to be able to have done uh, a couple of the lessons on it. And so I'm just going to give us a really quick, hopefully like minute or two rundown for anybody that hasn't been here. So the uh, context of this letter, so what is Paul's letter to the Galatians about? It is a letter of warning against the teaching of the Judaizers, which rebukes those in the Galatian church that were being swayed by the Judaizer teaching that they should trust in their following of the law instead of Christ for their salvation. And so that is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. You guys have heard from Aaron uh, throughout all of his sermons, part of, kind of like the, the argument, uh, the line of argument the Apostle Paul uh, has throughout this entire book is just constantly beating down, hey, listen, you started off uh, your, your, uh, uh, your Christianity by faith, and you're going to finish it by faith. There's no work that could add or detract from it. And he keeps doing this uh, time and time again. So what is the story so far? Uh, I like the way that uh, Pastor John MacArthur summed it up when he was doing uh, a series through this book as well, and we got to this chapter. He said this, In the first two chapters, the Apostle Paul defended his apostleship as one who represented the Lord Jesus Christ and spoke for the Lord. In the second two chapters, chapters 3 and 4, he defended the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. And then in the final two chapters, he's telling us how to live the Christian life. Uh, I don't think I could have put it better myself. And so if you haven't been here uh, throughout the series, if you missed a couple of, of uh, uh, sermons, hopefully this catches you up to where we are. And so we're going to be talking today uh, about how we go about living the Christian life, which leads us to our verses. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, say, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so you guys will see uh, the couple of areas that we're really focusing in, uh, I've, I've put in bold. Uh, the first one that, that we're really going to deal with is that do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. I don't know if there's another set of verses that is taken more out of context for such a wide variety of purposes than verses about sowing and reaping. Uh, they're used uh, correctly by, by ministers of, of God. They're used incorrectly by all kinds of charlatans that pretend to be ministers of God to fit their own purposes. Uh, they're used in all kinds of ways. And so one of the first things I wanted to tackle before we talk about what the correct biblical view of sowing and reaping is, we're going to hit a couple of views uh, that are incorrect. So what these verses are not saying about sowing and reaping, the first thing that they're not saying comes from the word of faith movement. And so they have this misconception from the word of faith. The word of faith uh, movement is this movement of people, uh, as you see on the screen, people like uh, Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, they're two of the, two of the most uh, well-known names in this movement, who take verses like these, especially these, this group of verses, and take them 
wildly out of context to serve their own gains. And so they fall into that category. And so what do they say? So they say things like, in our first quote, the more you talk about negative things in your life, the more you call them in. Speak victory, not defeat. Joel Osteen. Uh, Kenneth Copeland's the next one. The seeds you are harvesting today were planted by the words of your mouth yesterday. Now, these guys, like I'm sure the Judaizers of Paul's day and the false teachers of Paul's day, are very crafty with their words. They're really great orators. If you watch one of their uh, uh, motivational speeches that they give, uh, I wouldn't call them sermons, but uh, motivational speeches, and it, it almost sounds as though they're getting at something that approaches truth, right? Because in our minds, it makes sense, right? The, the sowing, reaping, there's some kind of cause and effect that is intuitive in that, right? And so when we hear people say things like, oh, of course, I mean, if you're talking about negative things in your life, you're calling them in. There's almost like an intuitive line of thought or, or, or argument that goes on there. However, this is completely incorrect. What these guys are saying is basically uh, a new reskinned version of karma, right? You say something, you do put out positive thoughts, they call it, or positive vibes into the world, and then the world, or how they call it, God, will then give you nothing but blessings back, nothing but positive things back. You'll experience nothing negative as long as you put out positivity. And that is not what sowing and reaping in scripture is about, right? Something else that they talk about in our third uh, quote here, if you want to reap financial blessings, you have to sow financially. Right? That's one of the big things, part of the reasons why I'm using strong words like, like charlatans is because of the way they apply it, especially in regards to your finances. Right? They will speak to crowds of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, and they'll convince them, hey, listen, the Bible talks about sowing and reaping. There's a law of sowing and reaping. And what that means is that if you sow some money into our ministry, you will reap riches from God. Of course, they never explain how that works. They never tell you where that's found in the Bible. They never give you any specific uh, date that the big check from God is going to arrive. But they assure you nonetheless that this is all according to the Bible's law of sowing and reaping. Now, how accurate is this? Not at all. Uh, just disproven in, in, in two verses. We have Ecclesiastes 9.11. Uh, it says this, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. And so if this first misconception was correct, I don't know about you guys, but I think someone who is strong and prepared for battle is putting some positive thought into going to battle, right? And yet according to this verse, the battle doesn't always go to the strongest. The person who is training for the race, who is really swift, faster than everybody else, it's, it would stand to reason they're putting some thought into this race. Someone would say some positive thoughts. And yet the race doesn't always go to the swift. And so, and we see this again and again and again in this verse. So, bread doesn't go to the wise, nor riches, the men of understanding, but time and chance happen to them all. Something else that we see in regard to uh, these promises of money and when they try to, to, to really uh, get under your skin as far as the, hey, I know you're hurting for money, just give us money and God will give it back. What does Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 say? It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when we're talking about the, uh, this doctrine of sowing and reaping, so what's the first thing that it's not? It's not some kind of vague law of karma. Right? We're not talking about you do nice things and nothing but blessings come your way. That's not biblical at all. We're not talking about sowing money, uh, whether it's in this church or any church, expecting to get 
triple, quadruple, quintuple uh, you know, your money back? I'm not going to promise you that because it's not in Scripture. And so we need to be very, very careful when we look at doctrines like this that can be misinterpreted. Another big misconception that happens uh, comes from the Catholic Church. So the, the big Catholic misconception, uh, if this sounds kind of complicated, the, the word, this wording here is because it's from the Council of Trent, and that's like over a thousand years ago, uh, if I remember my years correctly. And so it says this, if anyone says that the one justified by the good works that he performs, by the grace of God and the merit of Jesus Christ, whose living member he is, does not truly merit an increase of grace, eternal life, and in case he dies in grace, the attainment of eternal life itself, and also an increase of glory, let him be anathema. In clearer words, what the Catholic Church teaches as far as uh, using even these verses to support that idea is that, sure, you're, faith, you're saved by your initial faith in Christ, but you continue being saved, and if you lose your salvation, you gain it back by meriting an increase of grace with your works. Or in other words, they would say, you sow in your works, and you reap God's grace, and you reap God's love, and you reap salvation at the end of your life. Now, how accurate is that? Well, it's just as accurate as our first misconception. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 that we just read, the, way, the two verses that they mainly take out of context are 8 and 9. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so what is their argument? Their argument is, well, clearly, the Apostle Paul is saying that if you sow to the flesh, a.k.a. to sin, then you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. And what are we sowing to the Spirit? Oh, well, it's so clear. Verse 9 says, to not grow weary while doing good. So it must be good works that we're sowing to the Spirit to gain our salvation. But something about that doesn't sound quite right if you've been here for this series. Because right, one of the main things that, like I said earlier, the Apostle Paul has been talking about time and time and time again in this letter leading up to this point and even in the same chapter is that you cannot substitute works for grace or, or vice versa. Right? You can't say, well, I was saved by my faith in Christ, but I just need to keep the law. Otherwise, I mean, he's not going to love me anymore. That's not how that works. And so when we're talking about the law of sowing and reaping, what we're not talking about, as Aaron says all the time, we're not talking about humanism in this church, right? We're not saying you do good things and then God loves you and he likes you and then maybe he'll, he'll let you be saved. We're not saying, oh, well, you're saved because of Christ, but then you have to be a pretty good person or otherwise you're going to reap corruption. That's not what we're saying. And in fact, that's not what the Bible says either. If you look uh, earlier in, in the same uh, letter, Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, it says this, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you, now, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And so I don't think Paul could have been any more clear in, in this verse when he's saying, hey, there's no substituting it. There's also no adding to it. You're not starting off one way and then you're not starting off with God and then finishing it up on your own. If you could finish out the race on your own without God, you wouldn't have needed him in the first place. And the Apostle Paul is clear on this. Not just him, but Jesus as well. In fact, when, when we're, now, now that we're approaching, okay, so we know that it's not prosperity gospel. That's not what these verses are talking about. That's not what sowing and reaping is in the Bible. Okay, it's not sowing good works and reaping salvation. That's not what we're talking about either. What exactly are these verses talking about when we say we're sowing and reaping? And I gotta be honest with you guys, even with my first reading of the text, just 
going over it for the first time, the wording confused me, right? I was reading it and I was like, oh man, what is going on? He, it almost does sound as though in verse nine, he's saying that works are what's, what are being sown in verse eight. But then that's clarified by another instance in scripture where we hear about sowing and reaping and that's by Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 13, 23, it says, but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. And so what Jesus is saying, which Paul echoes in verse 8, is that the seed that is being sown that leads to everlasting life is the word of God. The place that the seed is being sown into is your heart. That's what the good ground is, according to Jesus and Matthew. And so verse 8 is talking about a different instance of sowing and reaping than verse 9. Verse 8 is talking about sowing faith, sowing the word of God, and that reaps everlasting life. While verse 9 is talking about works. However, notice, as much time as we've spent talking about how works don't achieve your salvation, verse 9 is talking about not losing heart and doing good works. So why is that? I mean, do works achieve our salvation? No. Uh, again, it's clear. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is, the, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so this leaves us with the question, what is the biblical view of sowing and reaping? So it's neither of those two things. So we know, okay, in verse 8, we're sowing faith and we're reaping salvation through Christ, right? But and we're going to talk about what sowing and reaping means in Scripture. It's important to understand the very basics of where this uh, analogy or this metaphor comes from. And so here you guys can see, right, the, one of the most basic things. I know absolutely zero about farming or keeping a garden. <laughs> but if there's one thing that I know is that if you want to have some kind of plant or some kind of fruit, a great place to start is with some seeds of the plant or fruit that you want. Right? Now, something that is vital uh, even for someone like me who knows nothing as far as base knowledge on, on gardening, is to understand that if you're planting lemon seeds, you can't do so while expecting oranges. Right? You can't do so while expecting wheat. You can't do so while expecting apples. You can't do so while expecting anything but that whose seed you're putting in the ground. And so this leads us to the question then, what kind of fruit are we reaping? Right, so we said we have two different kinds of sowing and reaping in these verses. So in verse 8, we're talking about sowing faith, sowing the word of God in our hearts, and that reaps everlasting life. That is what we're calling for the purposes of this sermon, the future fruit. Right, so the future fruit that comes as a result of the sowing of the gospel in our heart is everlasting life. Right, and so we see, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And so that's the one we identified. But what about that other verse, right? The one that seems very, very worrisome. Well, we're talking about good works. What's going on here? Well, that's talking about the present fruit of our salvation. And so the present fruit that comes as a result of our faith are the following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And so... How do we sow in order to reap the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And notice the verse that everyone always forgets when quoting this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for 
good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so it's very easy, especially uh, as, as Baptists, when we understand, okay, yes, good works do not save me. And it's very easy to give good works a bad rap because of that. Right? We kind of tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater sometimes. We say, okay, good works don't save me, so forget good works. We, we put good works into that category of our mind that is like, this is always bad. But that's not the case. Right? According to Paul in, in, in Ephesians, back to back with him explaining that works don't save us, he says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so it is crucial that we have a balanced and biblical view of good works if we are to understand the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. And so core truth number one for today is good works do not bring us salvation, but they do further our sanctification. Or like my uh, old Sunday school teacher that I like to quote a lot uh, said once, and I never forgot it ever again, he was like sanctification, or as I like to call it, saintification, which is just the process of you becoming more like Christ, of becoming more of a saint is the way that he said it. None of us ever forgot that again. Uh, and I've remembered it like that ever since. So it's important for us to be able to differentiate. So, okay, if I'm going to be talking about salvation, the fruit that I want is salvation, I need a specific seed, and that's faith. But at the same time, we know as Christians that the evidence of our faith is shown by our good works. Not the other way around. Our good works don't produce faith, but if we truly are saved, if we truly have a saving faith, then good works will freely flow out of us. Now, how do good works do this? Well, when performed with the right heart posture, sowing good works will lead to us reaping the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice, it's when performed with the right heart posture. Right? You need to plant the seed in the right way. That's why when someone plants it expecting salvation, it doesn't work. They're not using the seed for its intended purpose. At that same time, there are people who, not even thinking about salvation, will just eh, sow the seed, throw it out, not worry about it, instead of tending to it. And what I mean by that is there are times where, yeah, sure, we do good works, but we do it with a bad attitude. We don't do good works happy, looking for opportunities to share the love of our God with others. We don't do good works looking to share the gospel. We don't do good works ultimately just, just, just quoting Bible verses to ourselves, saying, man, I'm so happy that I get to do this in Christ. I'm so happy that I get to go and do this good work and I don't have to rely on having good performance for my salvation. Instead, we perform with a wrong heart posture. And so it's important if we're going to sow good works correctly so they may lead to reaping the fruit in the Spirit, we need to understand what sowing looks like. And there are different kinds of sowing when we're talking about good works. And so what does sowing spiritually look like. And I have a couple of examples for you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so the number one thing that we're talking about when we're talking about sowing spiritually is the one that uh, every time in Kids Zone, I ask the kids, you know, what's something that we can do that, that, makes, you know, that, that, that makes God smile, makes God happy, and everyone immediately is like, you share the gospel, and you pray, and, you... and it's funny because kids, kids do that, right? And, and, you, and you expect that answer from them, but it's true. Right? The reason why they know it is because we say it time and time and time again, because the core way for us to sow spiritually is to share the gospel. 
Right? And that's something that we talk about often. How do you go about sharing the gospel? How do you go about sowing that seed with a good heart posture? We've talked about in the past, when you share the gospel, do you do so enthusiastically? Do you look actively for times that you can share the gospel? Or do you only do it when you find yourself cornered and someone's asking you and you're put on the spot? Because if we're going to be good gardeners, if we're going to be sowing that we may reap spiritual gifts, it's important that we do so with intention. The way that a gardener pays attention to their garden. They trim it when need be. They make sure the bugs that are harmful for it don't get near it. Right, and we need to do the same. And so it's important if we're going to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we need to be willing to share the gospel. Another really important part of it that goes hand in hand with sharing the gospel comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if we're going to sow with the right heart posture, that means A, we need to understand the gospel ourselves. Right, we need to be saved before we can go about sharing the gospel with other people. Then, before we go out and share the gospel, we need to constantly be offering supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men, especially those who we're planning on sharing the gospel with. And that's equally as important as you being willing to share the gospel. Because if you're willing to share the gospel, right, or like, like I'm saying, like if I went home to that today and I was like, Victoria, I am going to plant a garden, and I do not look up anything at all about it, <laughs> odds are that my garden isn't going to look very good at all. It's probably not even going to look like a garden. And so if we're going to prepare ourselves to sow the gospel in the, heart, in the hearts of those that, that are willing to listen, we need to be preparing ourselves for that. We need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for fertile ground. We need to be praying that the Lord give us these opportunities. We need to be praying, and not just for that, but also praying just in general. Right? James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Regardless of where we find ourselves, whether we're in a rut emotionally, we're not doing well, whether we're doing just as fine as ever, whether we've, we've just hit a, a new high in our relationship with the Lord, we constantly need to be praying. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm the first person that struggles to pray as much as I should. Victoria, too. Or we, I feel like we have this conversation like once every other month where it's like, oh man, we were doing just fine. And then like our prayer life just kind of like vanished for a couple of weeks. What happened? But what's important is that when that happens, we remind ourselves of verses like this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. How many of you guys heard and recognized names from the list of people that we read today who are suffering? People in our own congregation, people who love us, people who we love, who we know, who are suffering. And so, as long as we know that there are people suffering, whether you know their names or not, James 5.13 says, let us pray. If they're suffering, we need to be praying for them. Is anyone cheerful? Right, like we prayed today for Miss Connie. We're cheerful that nothing, nothing bad happened to her after last week. We were all worried. We are all praying for her. We're cheerful. What did we do? We gave thanks to the Lord. We sang some psalms, some hymns this morning. It's important that we do that continually on our own if we are to sow spiritually and reap those spiritual fruits. Now, what does sowing emotionally look like? Likewise, like I mentioned earlier today, actually, Romans 12, 15 through 16 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. As it turns out, if we're going to sow emotionally correctly, we need to be willing to listen to people, right? Something that happens even to me sometimes, when I'm talking to Victoria, right, that, that I've uh, I picked up this nice trick. I forget who I picked it up from online where I, I, every once in a while I have to say, like, okay, is this a listening conversation or is this a, you need me to fix the problem conversation, right? Because especially for me, the second that she's like, man, you know, this thing is going on at work or, or, or this other thing is going on with somebody, one of my friends back home, I immediately go into like, all right, we're going to break this down and we're going to analyze it and we're going to fix it. And that's not always what she needs, right? Likewise, with people that we love, people that we know, those that we don't know as much, how willing are we to listen to them? Because if we are to sow correctly, if we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, we need to know why they're weeping. We need to know why they're rejoicing. And so if we're going to sow and reap that fruit properly, we need to be willing to listen. We need to be willing to be there with them. And again, when we ask ourselves, okay, well, how, how do these good works actually result in fruits of the Spirit? Think about the things that you're practicing when you're doing stuff like this. When you're having to sit with somebody and listen to their story, listen to why they're weeping, it creates in you loving kindness toward them. It fosters in you patience, long-suffering. Because again, we're not just doing this for people that we like. We're supposed to be doing this even for people that treat us badly, for people that hate us, the people that normally will not even give us a second glance. But if, but if they're weeping, we need to weep with those who weep. We need to be willing to come up to them and practice the fruit of long-suffering. Man, I can't stand this person. But they're not being themselves this week. I need to find out what's wrong. I mean, if I don't ask, I don't know who's going to ask. I need to be willing to do the next thing, which is I need to be willing to encourage them. Right? Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Man, this person is weeping. Let me take time to listen to them. Why? Let me weep with them. Let me sympathize with them. And at the same time, man, I'm going to go out of my way to encourage them daily. Now, like we said earlier, we're not doing this with the train of thought of, oh, I'm going to go and encourage this person and speak positivity so that I get blessings back. No, the, 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 the reaping the fruit of the Spirit, part of that is almost like a side effect of doing the things that we know make our Lord happy. Encouraging one another, right? Encouraging one another to do what? Encouraging one another to not fall into sin. Encouraging one another to confess our sins that we may be able to help one another, right? Notice what this verse says, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As long as we're secretive, as long as we're not willing to talk with each other, as long as we're not willing to check in with each other, as long as we're not willing to encourage one another in a way that is genuine, right? There's a difference between, hey, you got it, buddy, and I didn't care to ask you what you were going through, and a difference, there's a difference between that and saying, now that I've listened to everything that you had to say, man, let me encourage you. Well, what can I do to help? Right? Is it just, do you want me to just sit here or me to listen to you? Do, you, do you? do you need a hug? Is that what you need? Do you need someone to help you get out of this rut? I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to be there for you. You can call me whenever. But it's important that we encourage one another every day if we're going to sow emotionally and to do so with the right heart posture, to do so joyfully, not begrudging it. Because right? at the end of the day, if we're going to do these things begrudgingly, we're defeating the purpose. 
We're, 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 we're killing the seed before it even has a chance to grow. And finally, as we come to, to what does sowing materially look like? And this is, I, I wanted to hit this one especially because uh, of what we hit at the beginning, which is the way that these verses get misused. People are lied to. They're told that if they sow materially, they're going to receive material blessings back from the Lord and that it's going to be all these riches. And we said that's not accurate. However, what does real sowing materially with the right heart posture look like? So James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So if we are to sow materially, one of the things that we're not supposed to be doing is doing so expecting to get our money back. Expecting to get it back plus interest. After all, not just today, but especially in Paul's time, what money their orphans and widows have to be paying anybody back? They're alone. They don't have money. They don't have, in, in, this, in this culture, they don't have very many rights either. And yet he's saying it's our duty to visit them in their trouble. When's the last time that you visited somebody who was orphaned, who was widowed, or really was in a circumstance that they couldn't control, right? Like the death of one's parents, the abandonment of one's parents, the, the death of a spouse, it's not something that we can control. When's the last time that you heard of that happening to somebody and you were willing to help them in their time of need? Not just emotionally, not just spiritually, but quite literally putting your money where your mouth is, saying, there's no way this person can pay me back, but the Lord has blessed me, and I want to bless them. Now, we look at 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And again, to tell you the truth, uh, something that I find funny, and, and, I, and I see this online all the time, uh, especially when I'm going through, uh, I love watching uh, uh, Christians and atheists debate and do all this, and in the comment section, something, something that I always find are people that are, that are uh, almost like waving their fist and screaming about how uh, all pastors ever in every church, all that they ever want is people's money, and all that they ever want is all this stuff. And, all, and you guys have no idea, even just making this PowerPoint, how uncomfortable it is to have to touch on some of these subjects, right? I mean, at the end of the day, one of the most touchy subjects that we deal with as people is money. How much of it we have, uh, how much of it those around us have, what we do with our money, where we get our money from, these are all very touchy subjects, and yet scripture doesn't shy away from it. And so as, as uncomfortable as it kind of is to have to talk about this, it's important that we do. Because scripture is very, not just clear, but very tough on this issue. I mean, look at this. If, if, if you don't provide for those of your household, you have denied the faith, and you are worse than an unbeliever. That's harsh. So my question for you is, is there someone, a member of your household, whether it's your immediate household, whether it's a family member, whether it's someone, you know, when, when you hear the word, someone that belongs to your household, you, I guess I know, you kind of know what I mean. Is there someone that you could be helping that you're not? And I notice, I'm not, I'm not saying someone who deserves to be helped that you haven't helped. I'm talking about someone who you can help, whether they deserve it or whether they, they, they don't. Whether, oh, they've blown their chance so many times, it doesn't matter. Because ultimately, when we're sowing materially with the right heart posture, we're not doing it because someone deserves it. We're not doing it that they can give us something back. 
At the end of the day, when our father sowed the word into us, we couldn't pay him back. We couldn't give him anything back. We couldn't give him anything materially, spiritually, or emotionally that he didn't already have. And we didn't deserve it. And yet he was willing to do it anyway. And so we can't hold back, as, as hard as it is, we, we, when we have the opportunity to, we can't hold back our finances from helping those that, that are in need. I mean, if you even look at the example set up in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, uh, of the level that the early church went to, I mean, they go to absolute extremes. You look at uh, these verses, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now, we're not even taking it to that extreme, right? I'm not, uh, I'm not saying, oh, well, biblically, everyone here needs to go and sell everything they own, and we need to, we need to this. This is just an example of what the book of Acts, which is just a book of history, is telling us that happened. No one had to force the early church to do this. No one had to beat them over the head with a stick to make them do it. They're just having the Holy Spirit living within them, having a new heart from the Lord. When they looked around and they saw people who were in need, who belonged to their church family, they were like, I will not stand for this. It doesn't matter what it costs me, I won't stand for it. And so my question for us is, do we do the same thing? Um, and as we close out here, my, my two final questions for you is, do you find yourself sowing to the Spirit and bearing the fruits of the Spirit? Now, I'm not saying that you're perfect. Right? No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. Aaron's not perfect. Nobody here in this building can or will be perfect in, in, in this side of, uh, on this side of heaven, right? What I'm asking is, are you bearing the fruits of the Spirit? Not that you're, you have perfect loving kindness and you have perfect patience and you have perfect... Uh, all of the above, but do you find yourself, as time goes on, wow, I, I, me from like three years ago wouldn't have dealt with this situation like I just did. Where'd that patience come from? Hey, you know what? Man, the me from a couple years ago was so concerned about money, I, I wouldn't have helped this person. Where did this come from? Right, do, do you see that in your life? Can you, can you think of specific fruits of the Spirit that you can say, you know what, it's not for bragging, not for any other reason, but to glorify the Lord, but I see these beginning to sprout up in my life. Or, do you find yourself sowing to the flesh and bearing the fruits of sin that will lead to wrath and judgment? Because another uncomfortable thing that, that we have to talk about, because scripture uh, is clear on it and we, and we hear about it all the time, is that if you sow to the flesh, you reap what comes from the flesh, which according to Paul in today's verses is corruption. Corruption in this life, a lot of strife in this life, not from some karmic consequence or anything of the sort, but just logically, right? The Lord, the great designer, has a plan for us. We don't follow the design. I mean, what do we expect to happen? We don't approach relationships the way he wants us to. Those relationships are broken. We don't approach our finances the way that we should. We're, we're, we're irresponsible. I'll be the first one to say that I'm irresponsible sometimes. We don't follow, we're not good stewards of the resources the Lord gives us. And things end up not looking good, right? And so 
But ultimately, what matters most isn't just what happens in this life. It's what happens in the next. And so do you find yourself sowing to the spirit or sowing to the flesh? If you're not sure what, what I guess, where, where you stand on this issue, my question for you is, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand what it means to be a sinner? Do you understand what it means to have our God become incarnate, to come live the life that you couldn't, to die the death that you deserve, and to defeat the grave that you couldn't? Have you laid a hold of that gift that is being offered to you? Thank you for tuning in to Star Church's sermon. We truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the Lord. For more information about Star Church, visit our website at stargbchurch.com. Once again, that's stargbchurch.com. If you would like to visit our church, our address is 4925 State Road, 142 North, El Dorado, Illinois, 62930. We now pray that God will bless you as you enter the mission field and bring his word to the world. And as always, we will see you next time here at Star Church. Thank you.